Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast. I am Adam Lavecki, and I am here with DK Kim, and we are your hosts. Thank you for joining us. We are in this space to help you renew your mind and transform your life. We will be having helpful, honest, and hard conversations about culture and the kingdom of God. These conversations will help you to not be conformed to this current culture and will help you to grow in Christ. Jesus commanded us to preach the gospel and make disciples. This is an ongoing digital discipleship discussion. If you find this helpful, please subscribe, review, and share the Be Transformed podcast. Episode 17, Politics. Politics. <laughs> We're going to get into it today. I'm excited. Um, Psalm 17 says, Hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer. That goeth not out on feigned lips. So I had a spiritual father who is a tremendous guy, Canadian. So he would bust my chops about politics. And I would bust my chops and say, I hope you can still love me even though I have a Donald Trump tattoo on my back. No, I'm just playing. I don't have that. I'm just joking. <laughs> so we, we would joke around. And so when I, when I would say, hear the right, oh Lord. And so I would say, I would just pray for Steve. But having that relationship with a father helped me to engage with people that I may not see eye to eye with on politics, but yet maintain honor and respect for the relationship. And sometimes he would get at me pretty hard which is not really the Canadian thing. And I would say if this was anyone else, I wouldn't, wouldn't accept this, but I love you and have so much honor for you that I'm not going to, I'm not even going to get into it, but I think we should get into it, but in a gracious and an honest way. And, um, it's, it's not wise for us to try to evade or disengage as it relates to politics, because any sphere where the church abandons, it goes to hell. And so when you remove the light and salt out of any sphere of society, it's going to go to hell. And that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is God's kingdom come and his will be done. So if we're going to engage uh, the political arena, there's certain things that we have to be aware of or else we will be ineffective in this space. This is very, very important. Here's, here's a simple one. The foundation of God's throne, Psalm 89, is righteousness and justice. So if something is not righteous, it can't be just. So you can't have a justice without righteousness. And you can't have a righteousness that doesn't care about justice because the natural output of righteousness is justice. And so to, to, to break this down into, let's say, um, ethics and economics, if it's a kingdom of God deal, both parties have to win. And, and I think that that's something that is really important. So when we look at the biblical narrative, you see that God leads his people through many various different ways. You see patriarchs, you see political uh, deliverers, you see military leaders, then they become so lawless. God's own people, right? Not the world. God's own people are so lawless, they have to be ruled by judges. And uh, in the ancient uh, Near East, 
uh, a woman being in control of a nation was not a really high uh, watermark for their society. And Israel is so demented that they're led by Deborah because no one else would fight and she would. And so, you know, you, that, so then there's so many things that are happening within the biblical narrative and then kings come and then God is governing through kings, but he's keeping them on track with prophets and always calling them back when they're off. And then God sends this voice in the wilderness to prepare the way and then the way shows up. And then Jesus shows us a whole other way to be human. And Jesus warns us of the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. And the religious spirit and the political spirit both operate to please men, to, to please and appease which is the opposite of how the kingdom functions and operates. So the kingdom operates based on we are here to please him. And in us living a life that is pleasing to him, we live in his pleasure, with his favor, with his joy. And that is the highlight of human experience when God is at the center of it and we're living to please him. So this is something that... Um, I just wanted to say this. Now, I, I'm going to go to Joshua because I think that there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few words in here that I think will help be helpful for us. And when you guys want to jump in and engage, just let me know. But here is the commander of the army of the Lord, and he appears to Joshua. This is Joshua chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did. Now, if you follow chapter 6 through, he gives Joshua instructions on how to take Jericho. All right? But what I want to put, put just the highlight is, when, when the commander of the army of the Lord shows up, this is a theophany, this is Jesus, uh, the second person of the Godhead manifesting. And Joshua goes, are you for us or them? And the answer is no. And we have to resist, very, very, we have to really intentionally resist the us against them because in the kingdom, it's us in agreement with God for them. Now, this, is, this narrative is about the conquest of Canaan. And that's ultimately about the fulfillment of God's promises and them occupying the promised land. So I'm not going to sanitize it. They are getting ready to have war. They're getting ready to win. But what is foundational is to understand that the Lord is not on our side 
but we're on his side. And I think that that's an important thing to remember as we engage in politics, because what happens with politics is one group will say, this matters, this matters. And then the other group will say, this matters and this matters. And the truth is, both of them matter in the correct order and in the right context. So this is, this is really important. And when you see Jesus in his earthly ministry, and, and this is, I think, where we're going to get into eventually a dialogue about. Jesus calls two people that, that are way more in opposition than a Democrat and a Republican. He calls Simon the Zealot, who is a violent resistor of Rome. He would literally want to kill Levi, the tax collector who eventually is going to become Matthew and he's going to give people, specifically the Jewish people, the most valuable thing they could ever receive and that's the gospel of the kingdom. So there's a major transformation in his life. He goes from a taker, someone who's using his position and his political power for himself, so he's extorting his own people and he's using the oppressing Roman system to benefit himself. So Simon would want to kill this guy, right? And Jesus calls them both. And in Jesus, somehow these guys can be together. And, and that is important because from before the, when, when, before the church ever had a building, it was diverse, one of, one of the things that my spiritual father, Steve Stewart, taught me is that the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. And so Jesus invites these guys to follow him, and it's only in him that they could come together and be together. And they still have a bunch of things to work out, but I think that if Jesus is our common denominator— then we can be able to lovingly interact with each other. And iron can sharpen iron, probably not without friction, but there can be a level of honor and respect where we can hash things out and talk about the things that matter and get God's heart on each subject. So from that context, I want to kind of just open it up to what are your thoughts on that? So, Monica, why don't you go first? But before you begin, I just want to let everyone know we got Monica back on the show. She's actually part of the Be Transformed podcast crew. All that beautiful artwork we see, that's from her. And you, you'll be getting a lot more Monica on, on the episodes, too. So, Monica, you going to start off with, uh, with this? Yes. Thank you for having me. The here. second coming of Monica. Love to do it. Listen, I'm I'm honored. <laughs> Monica returns. <laughs> Sounds go scary. Ahead. Monica got a group back. <laughs> Darth Vader, like... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, yes. Um, so happy to be on and shout out Canva Pro for making me feel like a graphic designer. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny how the idea for this episode came to be <laughs> with me just stirring the pot at Life That's Group. That's all right. That's all right. Um, and, uh, you know, about, about just politics and, you know, just having a conversation a back and forth with pastor respectfully, hashtag respectfully about um, our understanding um, of, of history and um, just 
the who's who and what's what in terms of political ideology and and just what things mean. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll just start off by saying, you know, I can only really speak from my experiences as someone who's quite new to the kingdom, who made her her second coming to the kingdom <laughs> around this time <laughs> last year. Literally, it was around this time last year. Like, I actually, like, officially, like, got saved again, like, was on a Bible study. And, wow. Yeah. God's um, done a quick work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This time last year, last October, was the last time I smoked weed, the last time I went to a bar, the last time I got drunk. Yeah. Look at Jesus. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you are saved, saved. Praise God. You're setting grace. folks up too. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. Monica's about to come in, yo, and drop kick someone at Life Group. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Um, that's a conversation for another story. I've had a pray to God for patience. Um, um, I had talked to some other folks at, uh, at Rescue about that because I didn't want to. Um, anyway, um, God, God, God knows my limits um, and his grace is enough. His grace is sufficient. Anyway, so. Um, yeah, so you know, as someone who's relatively new to the kingdom, and uh, who, as someone who um, dedicated their entire life um, while to I hating was white people, rejecting Jesus. You don't hate white people anymore, right? I know. I haven't since like 2015. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> just for the listeners to know that. I, I just I get a kick out of it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I love how you do. And, uh, and um, I was. Um, uh, in a socialist political party and national organization, um, I identified as a Marxist-Leninist, and that was what I thought was the calling on my life for many years. Um, and that was where I rooted my identity in being um, a leader in the organization. And, um, you know, even a couple of, you know, a few episodes back when I talked about my testimony, you know, I shared some of these experiences that led me to that point, um, to under, to just really see, um, the world from that lens and to see in my own life, um, poverty and injustice and to look at the world around me and just be like, why are things like this? And, um, also, being raised kind of one foot in the church, one foot out, and not getting any answers at all in the church when it came to those bigger issues instead of just like people are just sinners. But I'm like, but but what's the why? And then also getting probably a little hashtag triggered at church because being like the poor kid at like white coffee someplace of God and then like in other churches, <laughs> oops, oh no, I name dropped. I don't even know if they still exist. I was there when the Jonas Brothers were there. You know that? I was sitting there kikiing with Nick Jonas. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. When he, when they were saved. Anyway. Um, but, uh, <laughs> oops. Um, but, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so. Um, and then I remember coming to Rescue for the first time. And, um, I mean, my testimony of even coming here was just, like, wild. Like, God had to make sure, like, he told me stuff very directly. Because, um, I mean, you guys know, like, we're really cool. I need 10,000 confirmations to make any major decision. Um, and, um, and even a decision as, you know, checking out the church, you know. Um, and I did have to repent for unfairly judging rescue um, at first Google search and social media scan. Um, and God literally, like, I'm telling you, bro, like, I'm still not, I'm not to this day, to this day. I was going to go to another church, an Assemblies of God church, um, and I had gone there for the service the week before, and it was really powerful. This evangelist had come to speak, and I went to, like, a study group that they had later that week, and it was cool. 
And I was going to go back and I was praying to God. I was like running a few minutes late and I was like, God, whatever you want me to see, hear, meet, speak to, whatever today, you know, just let your will be done. And I just an image of Pastor Adam came that I'd never seen before, but I recognized you right away. Um, we were just having beard talk before this. Definitely. I was like, oh, that's the, that's the guy, bearded pastor man from, from that church who's right here. And I was like, whoa, okay, God, so you're telling me to go there. Because I'm not really, I mean, sometimes I do like get images and visions and stuff, but it's not like a regular occurrence. Like I'm not a seer like that's not really my gifting but um as far as I know but yeah that was pretty crazy so I was like okay God and I remember coming here for the first time you know I was like okay I was gonna catch an Uber to that church and I was like well I only gotta walk five minutes this is nice and convenient okay and um sat right down and pastor was preaching about um I don't know what the entire point of the message was, but you were talking a lot about um, the need for justice in society, the need to take care of the poor. Um, you were talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and how um, the level of disregard for the poor in a society is related to the level of perversity in a society and how the U.S. is a great example of that. And I was like, yes. I was like, okay, like this is what I like to hear. I was like, all right, like this is the Bible I know. I was like, this is the Jesus I know. So um, that was amazing. Um, and, you know, now months later, you know, God has clearly really planted me here. And I'm grateful for that because um, I understood the issues of social justice from obviously a very secular lens and of course, very contradictory, you know, in that I was talking about human rights and dignity, but super pro-abortion. And around this time last year, you know, really living a double life um, in terms of knowing, you know, to my core that abortion was wrong, but I was still in elected leadership of an organization. And I'm someone who takes, um, you know, just being, um, talking about, you know, in the recording last night, integrity and, you know, leadership. I, w I was voted in, you know, by my comrades. Um, and I was like, bro, I just have to ride this out until my, my, my term is over. And, um, and just, you know, praying to God every day, like God, just, you know, I just ask for your protection and mercy upon me because I wasn't, my faith wasn't up there enough to just leave, you know? Um, and, uh, and I, my job was also connected to it. I was, how like, was that just navigating that, that, can you tell us a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it was really difficult. Like I remember in the beginning of December, you know, cause, uh, you know, being pro-abortion was a really integral part of our political line. And um, even before, a lot of people more collectively were talking about Roe v. Wade is about to get repealed, you know. Um, we, we were talking about that in early December. We were, you know, keeping an eye on it. So we were doing a lot of small protests, like not a lot of people were coming, not a lot of people were caring at that time. Um, and uh, and I, it ended up just kind of falling on my lap because everyone else on the leadership was um, had other respective areas of work and campaigns that they were really busy on. So it just ended up falling in my lap and, uh, lap and I was like, great. And I just remember one time um, coming home from a protest that I had organized outside of like the New York City Supreme Court um, as part of like this national day of action we were having to sub, uh, protect Roe v. Wade. And I just remember coming home and just like, crying like weeping just like feeling so guilty um you know because I knew in my spirit that that wasn't right you know it didn't really take much convincing because I can remember um as a little girl you know learning about the issue of abortion and like the um 
it was like in the assemblies of God church, they have like the Royal Rangers and they have like, uh, which is like the Boy Scouts and they have a Girl Scouts. I forget what that was called, but I remember every Wednesday night, like going to like those little events that they would have um, and learning about abortion from a very young age and believing strongly this was wrong. And it was crazy when I was like 11, like I was a troll and I would go on like feminist websites and I would be like in the comments, like fighting with the feminists about abortion. And then I ended up being a feminist over abortion. <laughs> My life is a bundle of contradictions. I really don't know what else to say. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but uh, You really changed you but you had a sense that this is wrong yeah and in the world you know when I was super pro-abortion I just saw it from strictly an economic and like a socioeconomic lens like I was just like people can't afford to have kids and it's not their fault and I remember actually I would say um, in order to live in a truly liberated society having kids should be a right and I truly believed and I still honestly in some aspects do believe that when we live in a society where we have 140 million Americans who live near or below the poverty line, where things like healthcare and education are not guaranteed, that when housing is not guaranteed, when you know in certain states like landlords just have complete control, like you can just get evicted, and you know that it just so many things. Like I still do feel very strongly about the the economic divide in this country and the wealth gap and the way that such a small class of people own so much of the wealth. Um, you know, I think it, there's so much corruption, and you know that's another conversation, I guess, to delve more into the depths of that. But um, you know, like right now at this moment with inflation. I was looking it up this morning, 61% of American families live paycheck to paycheck. Like, that's crazy. So in this situation, like, my orientation, it came to what we would call reproductive justice. And that not only applies to abortion, that applies to birth con access to birth control, that applies to access to, like, sex ed um, and all this stuff and access, yeah, like, the, that's what we call reproductive justice. And even, like, access to for uh, for health services and, and maternity leave and paid parent leave. Like, that's all what we would consider reproductive justice. And my orientation was that in a society where look at all these statistics, like, having kids is not a right because it's too expensive. And I remember um, having a conversation probably around this time last year on this like feminist like podcast that I would do with two of my um, my one, two of my comrades and you know we were just like oh yeah like there's like this whole thing with like all these talking heads on Fox News saying like oh millennials and Gen Zers like they don't want to have kids and it's like bro like we want to have kids but we're too broke to have kids like we can't have kids we can't even buy our own house so I think honestly like some of that economic justice piece of it I still believe in and I still believe that um that that aligns with biblical principles right but of course I don't believe that just because you're too poor to have a kid that you have a right to kill your own child um and, it, and again it didn't really that's just the grace of God because it didn't really take me too much convincing to realize that this was wrong and it was also the same you know side note for the LGBTQ stuff even though the reason why I was so riled up and agitated and I still have some of that righteous anger in the the violence that people face um um, because they're demonized. Like, they, we shouldn't be, uh, like, beating up trans women in the street or whatever. Like, these are people who need salvation. They need help. They're broken people, um, you know? So, uh, so yeah, so I, I, I just praise God because it's just all, all for his glory because I feel like he allowed me to have these experiences and to go so literally far left. 
and to also have the experience of meeting people from so many backgrounds and experiences. Um, you know, I worked very closely with like families of victims of police brutality um, for many years, you know, people who like literally in front of their own face. Like I, I work with a woman whose fiance was shot in the face by an off-duty cop with her two-year-old and, and like five-year-old kid in the back for no reason for like a road rage incident, you know what I mean? So that gave me, I think, a heart for the people and also to meet people of other countries and on a more international politic sort of arena um, to see the ways that um, global um, capitalism, what we call imperialism on the left, um, I shouldn't say we anymore, I'm still kind of working on changing my language, God is renewing my tongue and my mind. Um, but um, but because I don't identify anymore as a leftist um, or as a socialist or communist, um, I identify as a bond servant of Christ, as a Christian, um, and um, basically like just meeting people from other countries whose economic economies and ways of life have just been ravaged by war that's really stirred by U.S. corporate interest um you know to me really broke my heart for the people and and gave me what I believed at the time you know was righteous anger and um and I guess in that sense when it comes to like things like that that's righteous anger when it comes to like trying to you know shove rainbow flags down people's faces and uh force people to pretend um about to play in a fairy fairy tale land about other people's identities, you know that's another thing. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that's a little bit just about my experience and you know why rescue um, and coming to a place that really truly espouses and fights for kingdom values um, was so refreshing to me because I think it's a really easy for people nowadays to become disillusioned, of course, with the mainstream political landscape with the right and left um, because they're so clearly the Republicans and Democrats are. So so clearly just like heinous and out of touch with everyday people. Um, and uh, at the same time, um, sorry, I lost my chain of thought. Uh, but, but basically, like at the same time, um, we know that the left is not offering anything. The extreme left or the extreme right are not offering anything. And we notice um, that it becomes a kind of like, you go so far to the right that you you end up in the same wheelhouse. Like we were talking about the above this uh, before this podcast. Like I was not anti-gun. I was not no anti-gun liberal. I was like, give us guns. So you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So um, <laughs> at least she's honest. <laughs> yeah, actually, there's an interesting study. I, I don't want to butcher it, but the general gist was if you take the demographics of the far left, um, like the young the young followers of that, and then the far right, they're actually a lot more similar than you would imagine. Right. Their mm -hmm. interests, you yes. know, yeah, their thoughts, their, yes. yeah. So, yeah. People just want to have, to own a house and be able to send their kids to college and not have to worry about one day they're going to get sick and not be able to afford health insurance. Like, it's just like basic stuff. Yep. Like, just basic right to life. Like, so that's why I do have criticisms of, you know, I think a lot of people in the sort of, I don't know, um, kind of mainstream Christian, I don't know how I would describe it, like talking head space where it's just like, we're riding so hard for the Republicans, but it's just like, guys, like we need to be thinking more about caring for people and showing people the light and love of Jesus than we are fighting for um, a, po a particular political party. Um, and, you know, in, in terms of my orientation on like fighting for policy, 
I'm still figuring that out with the Lord. Um, but but yeah, I, oh, I was going to say, you know, I just thank God because he uses everything for his glory. And I think he allowed me to, to go through all of that and to experience that. And to also, in my own experience, see all the contradictions because being in an organization, I worked with people every single day for seven years straight. And I hear people talking about, you know, um, upholding, you know, the value of just loving others and believing that people can change and, you know, like, um, you know, just seeing the whole person and da 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 da. Yet, like, in my own life, like, people I call my comrades, you know, like, just on a personal note like really treating me terribly and like isolating me when I was like literally struggling with like alcoholism and like addiction to weed and stuff and you know just like talking about me and like you know making a mockery out of me and honestly even at some points asking acting in ways where like at that time of my life I would be like this is like racist like I'm like a struggling young like black woman from like a broken family and the trauma that I experienced growing up and the messed up things I went to is what produced like why I act like I do now and instead of loving me through it and just talking to me like a normal person and just like having a real conversation with me and just saying like yo like you're acting a mess like I love you I want to see you get better it was just like we're just gonna isolate her you know so when I started to see people and then lol like literally experiencing like whole witchcraft like from people who are supposed to be my friends and for people who are supposed to be like for the people for social justice yet you're literally like consulting with, with like witchcraft yeah. some yeah you're literally cursing me and like you're literally paying like some brujo like to literally wish death on me like that's crazy make that make sense like so yeah it's just a whole mess um and literally lol not it being prophesied over me literally two weeks ago that like former allies of mine are still speaking curses over my life i'm like oh wow so y'all really care about people that's crazy i would like to make some comments just on her journey and where she is and what god's doing with her it's anytime you are changing and growing, right? There's a level of uncertainty that's always not comfortable. Like this happened with me where, you know, I had a belief, let's say about the end times. And then I was confronted with the scripture. So you could choose what is safe, the tradition that you were taught, what you thought was the truth, or you could kind of step out of the boat, get into dangerous, uncertain waters that don't feel safe at first because what you're acknowledging is what you used to believe is simply not true, mm -hmm. which is very difficult at times to come to that realization because then you're basically saying that you were deceived mm -hmm. and no one likes to admit that. And so... The promise that we have in Christ is that the Holy Spirit is fully committed to leading us into all truth. Amen. So when we see something, we can say, Holy Spirit, show me the truth. Show me your truth. Show me the truth according to scripture and the truth according to how you perceive this situation. Give me discernment. Give me understanding Give me wisdom. So before I impulsively react, let's let's process everything and let's process things with patience, with Bible, with wisdom, with some emotional health, spiritual maturity. Let, let's 
resist the urge to be impulsive and just react. Let's just wait. I think that that's an important thing. I also think too, as it relates to the time that we're living in, uh, post-pandemic, there was a proliferation of perversion during the, uh, the, the, the pandemic, and there was a push on this whole trans thing like never, ever, ever before. And here is what we have to see. First, there's people who have been abused and who are suffering. Mm-hmm. And they need good news. They need the gospel. They need to understand that repentance and transformation is possible. They need to understand that God doesn't hate them. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we're living in a culture that has a narrative that has become increasingly polarizing. Mm -hmm. And what that does to us people who are living out real life, trying to pay mortgages, trying to pay off debt, trying to feed hungry people, trying to go on missions trips, trying to just do our thing in the kingdom— In a society that's so polarizing, it could cause me to be triggered by something you're saying instead of listening for your heart and understanding where you are. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I see is that there's such a polarization in our society that if I use this word or that word, then you think I believe this and this and this and that. Or if you voted for Trump, you're racist. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, there's so many different things that are ridiculous. And they're they're not accurate, nor are they true. So it's almost like the world is shaping the conversation. And then church people are trying to always react to the world instead of respond to the Father, respond to the Scripture, Mm -hmm. respond to the Spirit. How do we effectively communicate a biblical position? And then how do we lay out a policy from that position? And then how do we come to the realization that we will not have perfect representation in Washington? Because the reality is that we don't even perfectly represent our own selves. There's things that I said five years ago that I would cringe about today. Yeah. There's things I've written in my books 10 years ago, like I, that's that's not actually mm-hmm. uh, correct. And I was sincere, but I was sincerely wrong. So if I can't even represent myself fully and correctly, and none of us represent Jesus all the time correctly, the idea that we're going to have someone that we elect in Washington, D.C., that somehow is going to perfectly represent us, the kingdom, and all God's values is ridiculous. Yeah. But... To disengage politically is unwise. See, when 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 a church loses its voice, l- let me say something to you. Think of this. Germany, it, it, with the rise of Hitler, Germany was a Lutheran country. That's crazy to even imagine that. Hold on, hold on. Let's let's so we get into is war ethical. Is it not ethical? How is it ethical? Augustine brought up the idea of just war. Um, You know, the Lord is a man of war. Exodus. There's so many things. In righteousness, Jesus makes war. 
he, yet he died on a cross. So there's so many of these tensions that we that we wrestle with. All right. The real question is not should the United States have got involved and stopped Hitler? That's a no-brainer. Anytime someone is killing innocent people, that is the only reason where a legitimate use of force is necessary. So on every other way, I'm kind of like, I'm not a pacifist. And I'm not like, hey, let's just go invade Iraq for oil. I'm more like, the use of force should be used to protect the innocent. Okay? So let's let's frame it from there. So the question is not should America went in and stop Hitler. That's not the question. The question is how did Hitler get such a voice in a Christian nation? Yeah. How? The only prophet that stood really against him that is known historically is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So, I, you know, so the question is that if we lose our voice, if we don't speak up or speak out, then that type of thing can happen. Yeah. So what, what, what's your thoughts on today? Like, how did the church get caught on its heels like this? So the church, okay, so the church is us, and the church is people. And people always look for someone else to do their job. So we're always looking for a hero. And, and that's, that is the danger, because there is no one who will do our job. And so th that's that, that's something that we have to come to terms with. It's like being pro-life is more than voting Republican. Being pro-life is clean water. Yep. It's also saying, yeah, it's not lawful for you to rip a baby out of your womb because in addition to killing a baby, you're actually harming yourself mm -hmm. and you're going to scar yourself and, and you may not have children again. You, you may really, it's really not a good idea on a bunch of different levels. And so there are things that are unethical, but they're legal. Why? Because there's economics behind it. And so someone stands a chance to gain from it. And so then we use language to legalize it. And we say, it's a baby if we want to keep it. It's a fetus if we want to kill it. Right. It's the same thing that Hitler did to the Jews. It's the same thing that happened in the transatlantic slave trade. It's the same thing that happened with the genocide of, of natives. It's the same story repackaged where if I don't want to listen to you, I label you. Mm -hmm. Or if I want to kill you, I relabel you. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to exploit me, you relabel me. And as kingdom people, we have to be able to see a matter for what it is. So one of... One of the responsibilities that people have behind pulpits is not only to teach scripture in its context correctly, but also to interpret reality. You, you see this in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes and Peter is the first thing he says is these men are not drunk like you suppose. So he says what is not happening. The second thing he says is this is what was written in the book of Joel. So the apostolic leadership in this setting is the one who's responsible for what's happening. And he's the one 
who can articulate what is happening and what isn't happening biblically. So it's important that we're able to look at a matter and see it for what it really is and understand, okay, based on the knowledge I have, what is the best decision that I have to make? So like, let's say I voted for Donald Trump. I didn't vote for Donald Trump to be my senior pastor. And I don't expect him to behave like Mother Teresa. He's crazy. He's a crazy New Yorker. He's rich. And he's going to say whatever he thinks and whatever he feels. He's The thing that's interesting, the anomaly about him, he's the only person that didn't alter his state of being to become president. That to me is intriguing because Proverbs says that the rich man speaks roughly. But the poor man is like, he speaks nice and sweet. He, he's so, this guy was crazy. Whether you like him, don't like him, I'm, it's, it's not about that. So if I vote, let's say I vote for him. I'm not, in, I'm not voting for him to be my senior pastor. I'm voting because out of the people that I have to choose from, he most closely aligns to what I want. Maybe you say, I don't, I don't vote, I didn't vote for him, I voted for someone else. So my, my thing is not about fighting about that. You, listen, you can vote for someone. I don't have any, you know, bad blood toward you with that because my hope is not in him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to make the best decision based on what I know. Could I, could I get it wrong? Sure. Could we be deceived by a political figure? Yeah, we have yeah. been. Always. But, always. But, but the thing is that this is, this is the critical thing. The very center of the verse, uh, the very center of the Bible, it says, it is not good to put your confidence in man, but to put your trust in the Lord. Mm-hmm. That is the direct center of the Bible. Mm. Psalm 116, verse 8. The very next verse says, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. Mm. Modern translation, politicians. So what is central to the scripture is not that I trust in man, not that I trust in political powers, but that I trust in the Lord and an expression and the primary expression of me trusting the Lord is being faithful with what he called us to do. So this is the thing. The Republicans come and they're like, we're pro-life, we're yeehaw. And they never change Roe versus Wade. Now we have the most left president. This guy is left of Obama. He's left of Hillary Clinton. This guy is, in my opinion, he's delusional. And under this situation, Roe versus Wade was overturned, which in my, my cultural interpretation, that's a good thing because... The shedding of innocent blood defiles the land. But the the thing is that as a Christian, who you vote for doesn't change my responsibility to love you and care for you. Yeah. Right? So who is in 200 Pennsylvania Avenue does not change our assignment. That's right. So it's like vote, have a biblical perspective, speak clearly. But if we don't live what we're saying... Then, then it's like my job is not to just vote for the best person and then shut up for the next four years, don't do anything for the world around me and think I've done the whole world a great service because I cast a ballot for someone. That, that's, not, that's not it. But the thing that I'm, I kind of want to just bring to us is like most of Jesus' names are political names. So the idea that I'm going to disengage because I'm spiritual or because one day I'm going to fly away to heaven. That's crazy because Jesus prayed, 
my kingdom come, his kingdom come where? On earth as it is in heaven. So that means that his kingdom, which is spiritual and eternal and forever, is colliding with the kingdoms of men. Yep. So that means that if uh, Joe Biden has a has a value system that is against the kingdom, I speak up on again. If Donald Trump has a value system that is against the kingdom of God, I speak up against it. Mm. It doesn't matter who it is. We we have to be the voice of God in the earth. But yep. if we don't have a clear biblical perspective, then we can't, we don't have anything to say. Also, as Christians, I think, um, what are we citizens to? I think that's that's the big thing. I don't think a lot of us believe we're really, first and foremost, a citizen of the kingdom of God. Mm. I mean, even the terminology kingdom was a totally political, intentional political word. Yes. Saying a new kingdom's here, that means if we join that kingdom, we're citizens to that. We're no longer citizens of U.S. first. Yes, exactly. Our allegiance is not to the flag, it's to the lamb. Now, I'm thankful for America. I know it's blunders. I know it's history. I get it. I'm thankful I live in America, but I don't pledge allegiance to a donkey or an elephant. Our allegiance is to the lamb. Yes. So that's something to, to consider yeah. and to really keep at the center. Another thing to consider as you grow in what I would call biblical worldview, when I look at a husband and a wife, let's say. I want to understand biblically from God's perspective, what is the role of the husband? What is the role of the wife? And if they're being faithful together, what does that do? When I want to look at the, how do I interact uh, with honoring your father and mother, let's say, or whatever it is, I want to look at what does the Bible say and what is my responsibility, right? So we can't take that and and say, oh yeah, but in politics, we're gonna just throw that out. We have to take that and say, what does the Bible say to people in power? Mm. How should the church engage with people in power? Yeah. See, these are very important. And then what is the, for example, what is the responsibility of government? Yeah. Because if we place too much responsibility on government, then we get into the very opposite of the thing that Jesus came to speak. Because when Jesus said, he said, I come to give you peace, not as the world gives you peace. Mm-hmm. He was speaking of the Pax Romana, he was speaking of the false peace that Rome had created by violence and coercion. Mm. So he's saying that the peace that I give is not through violence or through coercion, it's through self-sacrifice and love. So the kingdom operates differently. So then when I understand biblically, what is the role of government? If I don't understand that, it's impossible for me to engage faithfully with something that I am unaware of its responsibility 
or my responsibility. Yeah, I think key to that is reading the Bible outside of the lens of today's culture. What I'm seeing that's concerning is people reading the Bible and interpreting the Bible through the current political views, the current situations, the current issues they went through, and it's totally just diluting the Bible and totally distorting it. Yeah, I think that our the challenge with the Bible is not the Bible, it's us. And we, especially in our culture, because we're speaking to mostly Americans, mm-hmm. Westerners, English speakers, obviously, right? And in that context, what we like is we like tweets. We like quotes. Uh, if you're older, you like devotionals, a little devotional in I the morning. I guess I'm old, I love them. I'm sorry. You grew up Christian, that's why. <laughs> so, so it's like we love this consolidated, inspiring, maybe challenging once in a while, but... We like this inspiring and encouraging thing. Coffee mugs. Coffee mugs or Jeremiah 29 on the Bible, you know, Bible verse on the bathroom wall, not knowing like they were in exile, you know, <laughs> they were in captivity for 70 years and then that wasn't enough. Um, they didn't respond to the dealings of God. And then Daniel said, you're going to, it's going to be 70 times 70, which is 490. Imagine telling an oppressed people group that were oppressed because of their own sin. Um, you guys didn't respond to the 70 years of discipline. Now it's 70 times seven. I which is kicking and screaming. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and guess whose fault it was? Their fault. Mm. And um, so so that's that's a whole nother thing. Mm. But when you engage in the whole meta narrative of scripture, you see that God governs through, you know, prophets and and kings and priests and political and military and judges and, and then you, you, you start to engage with Jesus and you go, oh, he's the son of David. Mm. Uh, that means he's a son of a king. Oh, privilege. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and all the trigger point words. And, and then you get in, oh, he's the king of kings. Oh, he's the Lord of lords. Oh, he's the savior of the world. And, and you start to get into all these names and many of these names are are literally political mm-hmm. names which which ultimately is telling us that we that he is the lord of everything and we should engage now there's certain things that are sinful that we should obviously abstain from right so we're not talking about like selling drugs for jesus we're, we're or you know what i mean but if it is if it is in our society and it is not overtly sinful then we have permission to engage it. And even if it's overtly sinful and dehumanizing, we should have a position on it that is biblical and helpful to people who actually want help. Yeah, confronted. Yeah, it has to be confronted. And, and I think that the danger is in this society where everything is politicized and polarizing that we have lost the ability to be human and to listen to each other. And that is the thing that the church cannot adopt that way, that operating system. We have to be like, listen, let's be slow to speak. Let's be quick to hear. Let's listen carefully. And then let's move forward from there. Yeah. And the irony is this um, delusional version of being politically correct. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, that's not even what it is. No, it's not. Yeah. And it's delusional. And what I found is that the people that preach tolerance the most are the least tolerant. Right. 
And so, and, and that was one of the, that's one of the things about the whole transgender thing. It's like, I don't accept who I am. You have to accept who I'm not. And now the school is going to hide from the parents the sexual desires of a child. First of all, a child shouldn't have any sexual desires. And they shouldn't be sexualizing children or giving kids puberty blockers or any of these things. Because puberty blockers will also make them sterile. Which is not, that's, that's. It's a demonic agenda. It's demonic. Because the enemy hates the seed. Yes. And um, so there's just all these things that are happening within our society that I think that we have permission to engage. We should engage, you know, by faith, with grace, with wisdom, with love, Mm -hmm. in truth. But we cannot allow the mainstream narrative to shape the meta-narrative of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And also to shape how we move in the world. Like, I want to say two things. Um, Number one, with the casting ballots. Yes, we can cast ballots, but we should be casting more demons out than we cast ballots. Like, (laughs) casting demons should be our number one. Casting ballots should be our number two in terms of priority if we actually care about building the kingdom. You're getting quoted. And then um, I thought about that, I promise, bro. You're going to make your own quote. That's powerful. I know, wow. Like, I feel really, I know, I feel very powerful. No, I'm kidding. But um, (laughs) made sure that the fit was on point. You know what I'm saying? But, um,. But yeah, like, and, 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 you know, my second point is in related to like what building heaven on earth looks like, right? And that needs to be our concern because I worry about this landscape that we live in, like everyone was saying, where, where everything is so polarized and everything is so politicized. Like we had like a public health crisis that was like one of the most politicizing like issues like of of multiple generations like so it's just like how do we operate like as kingdom-minded people and one thing I always think you know what what does the Lord say he says um just as the heaven is higher than the earth so are are my ways higher than yours and the ways of God are foolishness to men and when Jesus was instructing the apostles you know um in the, the season before his crucifixion he was saying, he was, you know, giving them the authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. He was giving them the authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. And he said, you will do greater things than I have. So that's, that's the call on our lives, on everyone's lives. But, you know, as people who have consecrated ourselves to the Lord, you know, and who are, who are trying to live for him and live right, um, that is what we're supposed to be living up to. Like, that's what we're instructed to do. And the point of that is to give, like we know the point of, you know, um, miracles and signs and wonders is to stir up faith within people and to stir up hope within people and have people understand that that the supernatural is real and that the spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm and that the blood of Jesus and the, the name of Jesus is enough to trample on everything there is nothing that God cannot do, right? So it's like I get nervous um, when Christians are too worried about either combating the narrative or too afraid to speak up. And I was just having this conversation with a sister at our life group that we had before this of like, 
And this is a completely new phenomenon to me as someone who was in the world in this time where now this um, focus on, on social justice is now part of our our everyday you know vernacular and the whole thing about being politically correct and stuff. Because back in the day, I was getting made fun of when I was like thinking I was a little feminist back in like high school. Like I was getting made fun of for that. When I was in my freshman year of college and I was telling girls I was hanging out with, I was bisexual. They were like, ew, she gonna, you gonna try to kiss me when we get drunk? I was like, no girl. Like I'm looking across boundaries like that. You know what I mean? So it's just like, like, and nowadays it's just like, Mwah. like it's just completely different. You know what I mean? So it's like the, the times have changed very now quickly. It's like, if you're not gay, you hate us. Right, exactly. <laughs> I know. I was just like, why, why do straights exist? I my was confused. Name, my name is Judy. You better call me Judy. <laughs> What's up? But um, it was just like, I was, uh, like, yeah, like, and now coming back to the Lord, it's like weird now seeing like a lot of like, like these like Christian progressive types or whatever who are too scared to speak out about certain issues because they're worried about, uh, you know, they're worried to sound homophobic or they're worried to sound, uh, they're worried about sounding judgmental or they're worried about sounding like they don't care about racial injustice and whatnot. And it's just like, we live to serve God, not to serve man. And there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to have to do and say that is going to guarantee us persecution. So um, it, it frightens me. I guess I should say there's two there's extremes. two sides. Yeah, two extremes that I'm worried about. It's that side of it. And then it's like people just like, like and right wing. And it's like, da -da -da. and it's just like, bro, like, let's talk more about kingdom work than politics. I agree. And you know what they both have in common? Two things. Pleasing man. Mm. And trusting in man. Mm, the trust is they exactly both, it. Mm. One, they trust completely in themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. Two, another dominant figure who's going to save them. Right. And they're both about pleasing and appeasing yeah. mm -hmm. their, own, their own folks mm -hmm. with no concern about the other. Mm -hmm. And the us or them thing is the very thing the church has to resist because the gospel is good news to the oppressed and to the oppressor. Yep. Mm -hmm. To the captive who is taken and to the prisoner who deserves to be there. Mm -hmm. The gospel is good news. It starts with the poor. The first place that God goes to work is on the heart. And then God rebuilds from there. You know, but this is this is something that I think that we, we could honestly stay here all day on this topic. But I think our, our, our heart of having this is to learn how to engage graciously, truthfully, and biblically. Hmm. I do have, okay, I do have one more question. I have a question. Yeah. So um, uh, DK had sent this really awesome piece um, to me, actually like a, some time ago and um, and then resent it to our little group chat in preparation for this conversation by Tim Keller, who's like a theologian, and I think he, he founded a church as well, and it's called A Biblical Critique of Secular Justice and Critical Th Theory, and it had a lot of, um, a lot of really um, great stuff in it, honestly, I recommend the read, and um, he quotes Jeremiah 22, 3, where it says, um, Thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness, and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor. 
and um, and do no and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. And the first half of the verse is really what um, you know the the still someone you know who has that passion you know for justice, and I think economic justice is really important. Um, and uh, and again, who's trying to figure out how to reconcile that with now being kingdom minded. Um, and I think the Lord, by the way, I should just add this, I think the Lord puts passions and interests in us for a reason. And I know that he He put this, you know, love for, for everyday working people, for people who are struggling to get by, and, you know, for oppressed people in my heart for a reason. Um, I, want, I should have added that before, but... When, you know, we're talking about this, I'm just curious your guys' per uh, perspective on this. So that was the, the KJV. I'm, I'm KJV all the way. But um, to get a better understanding of what um, uh, that passage is saying, it's saying protect the person who is being cheated from the one who's mistreating. So how do you, that, how do you guys reconcile that um, when we live in a world that I think we can all agree with where we have a certain class of people who are clearly robbing, you know, the the most oppressed people, and where we understand the political reality of things like I don't know, like redlining, and you know, um, and the mistreatment of workers, and you know, like uh, and wars, you know, uh, started for money. Like how how do you apply this scripture to things like you know, I don't know, like. Um, uh, a higher minimum wage and, you know, like free college and health care for all and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I don't know if this is the response for everyone, every Christian, but at least for me personally, I stopped focusing on the systems mm. and I'm really more concerned with individuals' hearts. Mm. If I could touch people's hearts at an individual level, I'm doing something from at least the ground up. Mm. So I just, I just kind of shifted my focus off like the systems and the corruption and, and the oppression. For me, I'm just like, can can we protect people on an individual level? Can we help people on an individual level? And also people who have a, a twisted heart, can we love on them and touch their hearts so they transform? Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of like taking this like grassroots approach. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I think that's, that's fine. Um, this goes back to what I was saying to you mm. in the context of what is the responsibility of government mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what are the, like, see, when Paul reorders the, the social structure in Ephesians 5, he addresses children, fathers, children's wives, fathers, slaves, and masters. Mm -hmm. And it's a very, very interesting thing because he says fathers you know don't provoke your children to wrath um children honor your father and mother wives submit to your husband husbands love your wife like christ loved the church and then he goes to the slave and master relationship and in the ancient world um paul is not pro-slavery i want to just be clear with that the, the book of Philemon is Paul using his apostolic authority to get a slave to be forgiven and for them to receive him as a brother, even though he did something that was unlawful. So he uses his apostolic influence to bring reconciliation, but 
as family, not in slavery. But what the slave did was against the law and was not right. So he uses his influence to try to reshape the relationship in a kingdom manner. And this is the same thing that Paul speaks to with slaves and masters. Because remember, when when you hear the word slave, right, many times in our current context, we we think transatlantic slave trade. But I just want to say that that was horrible and terrible. But it wasn't anything new. And so I think that many times in our in our current context, we're like slavery, black, white, this, that. But right now, there's more than 27 million slaves in the world today. Right. There's more slaves in the world today than there ever was in the ancient world because there's more people in the world today than there ever was. And slavery is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. Right. And usually, most often, it is not rooted in prejudice as much as it's rooted in greed. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, we apologize to black people, white people and black people wash each other's feet. You blow shofars, we cry and and things continue to go on as they were Mm -hmm. because we don't address the root of it, which is greed. Right. Racism is just used to maintain the system and it's used to keep, keep people divided. So in this context, Paul says to the slave, uh, the one who has slaves, Hey, master, you got a master in heaven. In other words, you're not the top dog, bro. You, you better treat these guys. New Jersey translation, show these people some respect. And then he says to the slave, hey, man, your promotion is not from the, is not from the, the master. You do what you do to please the Lord. Love so that. he reshapes the, 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 the relationship around the cross. Mm-hmm. So the, the ancient world was complex because if all the slaves went free, in one day, they would all be homeless. So, so there, was a, there was a cultural context. The same way the children of Israel inherited the promised land a little at a time, because if they didn't inherit a little at a time, the land was too vast. They would not be able to sustain it farming. Mm. So what Paul does is he is not in any way, I want to be clear, the New Testament, Paul and Jesus are not in any way pro-slavery. And the idea that Christianity is the white man's religion is such a ridiculous, basura, basura <laughs> ignorant, it's not historical, it's not truthful, it's not contextual, it's dishonest. The gospel went to Ethiopia before it went to Rome. Jesus is probably darker than me. Two two of the tribes of Israel were actually half African. Mm. Ephraim and Manasseh were half African. Mm. So the idea that this is some white thing is ridiculous. And there's so many different things, but with every single situation whether it's political economic uh whether it's sexual everything has to come back down to what does the scripture teach in its context and how should i respond based on that 
So we're, when we're talking about free this, free that, free this, I mean, I want to be honest with you. There's no such thing as free anything. There's no free lunches. So that's one thing. And then what we do is it's not helpful. The generalization of like rich people, poor people, what that does is it pits people against each other. But in the church, Christians are supposed to find their center in Jesus. And he's the one that teaches us how to relate to each other, how to relate to power, how to relate to finances, mm-hmm. how to relate to ethics. So when we speak to the, to the wider world, that's good. It should be from a kingdom perspective. Mm-hmm. But that kingdom perspective has to be rooted in scripture with an understanding of what is the responsibility of who I'm speaking to. For example, Adam sins. But Adam didn't sin first. You know the story. Eve did. But Paul says sin came through one man. When Adam ate and Eve ate, Eve ate first and Adam, God said, Adam, where are you? God held Adam accountable because he left Adam as the one who's responsible. So whoever is responsible is the one who's going to be held accountable. And from us in every situation, I am not responsible for how you treat me. I am responsible for how I respond to you. So the world is broken. If there are things that overt that are overtly and clearly unethical, we should speak out against them. That's clear. But what I'm saying is some generalizations are not helpful because they're they're rooted in ignorance in the sense of like saying like all oh, poor people are lazy. That's ridiculous. There are poor people that are very very hardworking people and they're still poor. Yep. And the there's very, there's there's poor people that lack an opportunity. And it's an it's opportunity that unlocks potential. But then there's also people that didn't do anything unethical to gain their wealth. So then to villainize them as this 1% is not a Christian idea. That language isn't Christian. So that the idea that splits people against each other, it's demonic, but historically it comes in different ways. In the modern American context, it is a Marxist thing because of Karl Marx was prejudiced. So one of the things that people don't understand is he removed God from the equation, right? So you remove God from, from the creator. So if he is removed as the creator, then he's not responsible for his creation. Also, there's no basis for moral value. Right. No. Yeah. So, so, so you, so my, my point is not to get into the, like anything, but that he, he was prejudiced to his core. His same teaching and ideology says that we came from animals. Well, if you came from an animal, you can act like an animal. Or be treated like one. Or be treated like one. So, so what happens is when you remove God from the equation, you remove a moral compass. Mm-hmm. Whether that's economic, whether it's sexual, whether it's violence and military, there's... You remove God from the equation, the place goes to hell fast. Yeah. 
And so I think as Christians, we're trying to say, how do we bring the kingdom witness into economics, into ethics, into education? How do we speak the, the, the life and truth to the powerful, but also to those who feel powerless? And, and I think that that's, that is the role of the church, and that is what we're going to wrestle with from now until we breathe our last breath because we are at war. There is a kingdom that wants to break forth into this realm, and everything in this realm, uh, in this fallen and broken world, does not want that kingdom to come. So we just have to think about the kingdom comes, nobody's starving to death in the kingdom. Also, nobody's sick in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, nobody is in, in, in the kingdom. Jesus is at the very center of it. So anything that doesn't find its center in Jesus is not kingdom. So the issue with all these social justice and all these other things is they remove God from the equation. So I can't have justice without the one who loves and is justice. Yeah. So, so what happens is, if I remove him from the equation, I am no longer concerned about the person who has an opposing idea. They become a them. We become an us. And now we're we're not. We don't have anything for them because we view them as the enemy. When it's really the enemy who is our enemy. And they're being held hostage by lies. And if we don't lovingly demonstrate truth, speak truth, and live in a way that is consistent with what the Bible teaches and what we speak, mm-hmm. we they don't have an effective witness. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to the world if the church isn't faithful. Right. And we don't fight against flesh and blood. Like, we owe them an encounter with Jesus, with yes. the truth, with God's heart and his perspective on a matter. And what I find is that we shouldn't just pick one matter. We should be able to clearly articulate God's perspective on the whole of life. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's something that we, as we study the scripture, as the word gets in us, we have a better grasp on a biblical worldview so that we can accurately speak into things Mm -hmm. and and my thing is like because you asked a big question like health this that so the way i would frame it in in very simplistic terms i would say that a society should if it's possible should have what i would call like a safety net yeah where god forbid someone falls we catch them mm-hmm. but what we've done in our society is we haven't we haven't created a safety net we have created a dysfunctional codependent enabling enabling dysfunctional It's just a dysfunctional welfare system, but at the same time, not actually making sure that the people in the poorest and most 
disenfranchised communities get the opportunities that they need to succeed. It makes it so few. There's so few and far between, and then it becomes like a crabs in a barrel situation. So people have no choice almost but to fall into these this dysfunctional welfare system we have going on. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like you get more kids, you have more money. And then, oh, you want to kill your kids, the government will pay for that. There's so many dysfunctional things that we've created that feed Mm -hmm. this system. And then they're like, oh, well, we need votes. And so... Double-minded. Yeah, yeah. it's, It's not... And here's the thing that, to me, I would say the most dehumanizing of it is that we try to do or bring personal changes in impersonal ways, right? So let's say you have a broken family. You've got a father issue, a dad issue. And so we go, oh, here's money. Here's $600 every month. And that doesn't fix the problem. That just says that if I abide by a certain set of rules, I'm going to get $600 a month. But what that kid needs is a father. In the absence of a father, he needs a mentor. He needs someone that's going to take interest in him and genuinely help him. If you remove that from the equation, you're going to create a system that continues to perpetuate that poverty, violence, and it doesn't matter what color people are. You take a father away, you take opportunity away, you take a a lawful way for people to make a, a like a, a just living wage. Like for example, one of the things that happened is one of the ways the inner cities of America were destabilized is they took manufacturing yep. to other countries. Yep. So a man who's not super educated can no longer make a just living wage. Yep. I don't know if I should determine that or the government should determine that. I think that in a free market, you should be able to agree on something. And if you don't like the agreement, find another agreement. So, so I don't, I don't know how like, and every time, you know, you raid the minimum wage, now it's like $14 for McDonald's. It's like, I don't know. I don't know how any of this is helping. It's complex. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very complex and I don't pretend to know it all, but I'm saying simply in practical terms, you remove living wage jobs. Right. What do you want people to do? Exactly. What do you expect people to do? Mm-hmm. So for more money, we we exported jobs overseas. And and but you know what that means? That just they just found someone else to exploit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. To pay even less and so subjects even worse conditions. So so now those people but then you take the jobs from those people and you're really gonna have a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's a sticky thing, but this is rooted in greed. Yeah. And if you don't deal with, like you said, DK, the human heart mm-hmm. on an individual level, there'll be no societal transformation. Right. That's why all these movements, they riot, they break stuff, they march, it doesn't bring change. Even Christians do the same type of thing without violence. It doesn't bring change. It's, it's well-meaning, but until you get down into the heart of people mm. and until you're seated at a table with someone and eye level with them and until you can really speak 
from the heart on things that really matter, there'll be no change. Mm -hmm. So engagement, yeah. engagement. I would say that that's, we can't disengage. Mm -hmm. And meet people where they're out and meet them where their needs are. And that's the power of praying for healing and praying for blessing and, and showing what the kingdom of God can do with the power of, of Jesus can do in someone's life because I'll just try to wrap this up, but I think that was something that was personally so freeing to me that my quality of life isn't tied to a socioeconomic system. There you go. It's tied to the Lord and everything that I need ever can be found in him. And that was something where I'm like, whoa, I thought what freedom might look like. Just like studying, you know, the histories of different revolutions and countries, you know, and policies and the changes and impact that they, that uh, those things had, you know, on everyday people. But understanding that literally like the abundance, like my father is rich, like my daddy have a rich, rich, like I'm rich, good, rich. I'm okay. <laughs> and he has healing and miracles and can do uh, what no man can do. So thank you, Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. In the kingdom, there's nothing lacking, nothing broken. Yeah, shalom. shalom. Thanks for listening. Adam Levecki here. On behalf of DK Kim and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you have found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.